Part 4 of 5 of The Elephant in the Bedroom contains references to sex, violence, strong language and adult themes. It's August 2017. I'm sitting in a packed cinema with my producers Ruby and Kelly as the lights go down. The silver screen lights up. It's James Roque sitting on a basketball court. Um, I remember I had a girlfriend in fifth form and she let, she let me touch her boobs once. And I remember being the best day of my life. This is the launch of a mini documentary I directed called Asian Men Talk About Sex, where eight Asian men talk candidly about, well, sex. My team and I watch the views climb and start trawling the internet for reviews and features. We're featured on Vice, Upworthy, Stuff, RNZ. It's funny, insightful, challenging. In New Zealand, a new documentary is out to change those bullshit stereotypes. Then, I stumble across the subreddit group for multiracial Asian people, aka Hapa, and someone has posted the link to the doco. Cool. Oh, yo, the director is an Asian male white female Hapa. No way, that's cool. Yo, guys, here's an article on Charling Huang, the director. Mom is Irish, dad is Chinese. I'll have to check it out. Has she done much else? Oh, man. What? What? She's dating a white guy. Oh, oh get God. out of here. Come on. Oh, there are so many other I'm options. So oh, just this, talk dude. the talk, but don't walk the walk. Uh, right. I, I, exactly. hey, hey, everyone. Drinking a cup of red wine every day is the best way to prevent life-threatening cancer. Uh-huh. Oh, but, but but I don't drink it. <laughs> it tastes horrible. Yeah, All right. Me. Oh, man. In any case, once again, we get to sit on the shelf. I start to get a slightly sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. But... Against my better judgment, I keep reading. Damn, I didn't even bother to check that. We were so close to having an ideal Asian activist speaking on behalf of Asian and Hapa men. Most of the comments are initiated by a user, Gladius51. The fact that she's with a white male sort of nips us in the bud, sad face. We came so close, so close. It keeps going. They've clearly stalked my Instagram and Facebook, mentioning my sisters and dad and my Eurasian looks. Look, 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 personally, I think in some of the pics she purposely does her makeup to look more Asian. Uh, I think it's that sunken spot above her eyes that make her look right, different. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Like, like she has the double eyelids, mm-hmm. but her eyes have that sunken appearance like a lot of East Asians don't have. Not that so it deceiving. looks bad, just pointing out differences, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Years on, Gladius51's thread still pinches in the back of my mind. It wasn't until recently I realised just how much it's affected me. It makes me think of sly comments at events, on Twitter and online. When I bring my white partner to Asian community events, are they all thinking what Gladius 51 was? Kia ora, I'm James Rocky. And I'm Chai Ling Huang. And we're two Asian millennial creatives who happen to be best friends. And we've noticed that we share a trend in our dating lives. That's right, we've only ever dated white, white people. people. And we're here to find out why. For RNZ, this is The Elephant in the Bedroom. A show on dressing sex, love and race. Kia ora, kia ora. Hello. Welcome to episode four. Yeah, okay, so that was pretty full on, man. Yeah. Like, was, was all that real, verbatim? Mm-hmm, yep, pretty much word for word taken from a Reddit thread, aside from the names, which I've changed. So mm. don't go searching for Gladius51 to send him hate mail because that name does not exist. In this podcast, we're talking about dating and race and why we've only ever dated white people. So when you found this group of Asian Americans jumping on you for dating a white guy, how did that affect you? <laughs> I remember reading it at the time. Mm. 
and feeling quite attacked and like very judged and to be honest, quite hurt. Yeah. They're basically saying that you have less value as an Asian creative because you're dating a white dude, right? The thing that makes me feel really creeped out was that they mentioned my looks, like breaking down piece by piece how Asian I really was, like quantifying it made it a really personal attack. Mm, That's fair. I kind of wasn't expecting that maybe my actual issue with all of this is my own Asian community. Mm, What do you mean? Well, I guess the hate online usually comes from white people being like, you're excluding us, you're being reverse racist, and you don't have it that bad, you know. But because it's our own demographic, I'm like, maybe this guy has some good points. Okay, so feeling like you're being judged by randoms on the internet is one thing, but have you seen this sort of thing happen in our own community here? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Do you remember that very tense Twitter thread within the Asian Ah. arts community about the same conversation? That went off. Yeah, I know the thread. It was pointing out how it was common for Asian creatives to be dating white people, and it was kind of joking about how it was at odds with their activism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So my friend Nathan actually made the original joke, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about himself as a gay Asian man dating white guys. I was just saying it's funny, all the Asian makers who are the most loud about Asian representation on the stage, the same can't be said about their bedrooms. Mm. I think I said something like that. Mm. And I was including myself. Mm. Like, you, myself and James mm-hmm. uh, were the like more notable Asian reps in the theatre context, mm. but we were all dating white people. Do you stand by that joke now? Or, like, what did you mean I sh- I, I mean, I stand it. by it in the sense that I think it's a funny observation. I don't think your artistic values need to be reflected in your bedroom habits because your bedroom is a private place. Yeah. But then at the same time, shouldn't some of our values be reflected in the bedroom as well? Like, you would hope so. Yeah. So you're kind of in the grey area about this whole thing. Yeah, I'm in the grey area. I don't think people should feel shame or guilt over who they sleep with. So the Twitter thread eventually turned into a discussion around Asian women being policed for dating white men, which is the same main beef on that Reddit thread. Why exactly do these people have a problem with Asian women dating white men? Okay, I actually had this question myself, Mm -hmm. and it took a bit of an emotionally harrowing research mission to unravel. I think a lot of it comes down to sexual stereotypes around Asian people and how they then shape the perceptions of each interracial combination. Ah, okay, hit me. When it comes to sexual stereotypes, Asian men and Asian women are seen very differently. In Western countries, Asian men have been desexualized, stereotyped as passive, effeminate, and weak, intellectual nerds who are undesirable. Oh, and Asian men have small dicks. Nice. Asian women, on the other hand, are either fetishized as docile and obedient lotus blossoms, or strict, cunning tiger moms and exotic dragon ladies. There are a few theories as to why Asian men ended up being stereotyped out of their attractiveness specifically. In the 1800s, Chinese men were invited to work the gold mines in New Zealand. When more and more came, and because they had aims to go back home eventually, they weren't seen as part of our immigrant colony, and white workers felt threatened. So the yellow peril propaganda began, portraying Asian men as sexually deviant predators or effeminate asexuals, which could justify laws tightening and banning immigrations of Asians altogether. Asian women's stereotyping started to solidify with the Page Act, which banned Chinese immigration in 1885 on the grounds that they would engage in prostitution and immoral acts. 
The Vietnam War then ramped up the hypersexualization of Asian women due to the prostitution and sex trafficking that American military men often took part in, which then snowballed. There's a theory that white men are drawn to Asian women as they were seen as more submissive, like a traditionally patriarchal concept of a good, obedient wife. Ooh, ooh, and extra helpings of ooh. As sociologist Nancy Wang Yuan summarizes, Asian women were seen as the spoils of war, and Asian men were seen as threats. So seeing them as either an enemy to be conquered or an enemy to be feared, all that has to do with the stereotypes of Asian men and women. All of this continues today, creating a very specific gendered set of stereotypes that Asian people grapple with in their dating lives. So what does all of that mean when you're talking about how each white-slash-Asian pairing is perceived within the community? Well, I'm happy you are. <laughs> so, so when you mash all these individual stereotypes together, each interracial coupling has its own stereotype. Wait, more stereotypes? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, what are they? Okay, let's play a game, a very fun game. Okay. You throw me an interracial combination, and I'll tell you the stereotype. Okay. <clears throat> Asian woman, white man. The white guy clearly has an Asian fetish. Uh, the Asian woman's probably self-hating to buy into a relationship like this. Uh, Asian man, white woman. Asian man is celebrated for conquering the stereotypes, proving he can get the girl that everyone wants, and the white woman is seen to be punching down. Uh, Asian man with white man. Uh, sugar daddy situation with the white guy being the sugar daddy, or the Asian man is definitely the submissive one in the sexual dynamic. Asian woman, white woman. Judged in the same way Asian women with white men are, but only within the queer community. And those are the sexual stereotypes <laughs> of interracial couples. Can we put some applause the here, end. please? <laughs> you can kind of understand why Asian communities are on edge, right? And they always feel like they're being judged. Because like, no one wants to be made to feel like they're perpetuating a stereotype. There was definitely a, a wee while where I was like, oh, I'm hoping a trader kind of thing. I called my little sister, Chai Sen, and for the record, I totally take credit for creating a Tinder profile for her that led her to meet her current partner. At some point, I was conscious of the Asian person dating a white person sort of thing that happened. Why so would that be a bad thing? I think it's just because of the stereotype of the Asian person dating the white guy and the white guy being like this, like this Asian lover kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to perpetuate that. And for those who didn't know, the term race traitor is used uh, when an Asian woman is dating a white man, i.e. betraying her race. I think what gets me the most is that she's doing a lot of self-policing. You know, like she never said that anyone in particular made her feel that way, but for some reason she's still absorbed enough to let that affect her. Mm. Do you think that you're doing the same thing in your relationship? The difference between the two of us is that when I went into my relationship, I wasn't thinking about what it would look like from the outside. But Chai Sen was, which is so sad that she was about to not meet the love of her life, who she's now engaged to, because she was afraid of perpetuating stereotypes. Yeah, that sucks. Hey. What's up? Do you think that we're at risk of coming across judgmental with this podcast in the same way? Oh, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, we're not here to judge, but I think at the end of the day, we're still asking questions that could come across as policing. Right. I've been thinking about this a lot since we started, that in our culture as a whole right now, it doesn't really feel safe to make mistakes, which is kind of crucial to learning. Yeah, but on the flip side, though, I can understand why those standards and expectations are there. Like, if we don't hold people accountable, then we all, we all just stick to the status quo. True. 
Well, I hope it's something that we can collectively find a balance with. Okay, so I think we should address one of the many elephants in the room. Who in the community is the most vocally critical? And based off that Reddit post from earlier, it's Asian men. Yeah, it does seem that way. Have you ever heard of the bitter Asian man? I think so, but can you explain? So, the bitter Asian man is what happens when Asian dudes who have faced repeated sexual rejection in their lives, over time, develop a strong bitterness and resentment. Right. And who exactly are they mad at? Well, that's the thing. So the anger is usually at that racial hierarchy that hurt them in the first place. But then that usually develops into them doubling down on blaming Asian women for dating white guys, like we outlined in that super fun game earlier. (laughs) Right. It's like what happened to me, but I've also heard of instances where people are bitter about Asian celebrities dating white men, like Constance Wu, for example, who got shredded when Crazy Rich Asians came out for having dated white guys in the past. Hold on. Are you classifying yourself at the same level of celebrity as Constance Wu? <laughs> Shut up. Hey, I was a, the biggest blockbuster of all me, time I for Asians. I was Theo Chang on Shortland oh Street. Oh, my goodness. So, um, but yes, yeah, that's it. Um, and, you know, I think there's also an element of them feeling like the Asian woman would rather date the white men over them. And I'm assuming that that just makes them even angrier? Yeah, it's not great. And because they haven't, you know, been seen as sexually attractive by white women in the past, there seems to be like a focus on convincing white women that Asian men are attractive as well. Isn't that a massive double standard? Oh, 100%. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So can I ask you then? Yeah. As an Asian guy, how do you feel about that line of thinking? So my take on it is that I think it comes from a legitimate place with genuine points, but then the anger seems to steer it into another direction. In the past, you've mentioned that you have experienced rejection because of your race when it comes to sex and dating. Does that make you a bit of Asian man? I've actually been on a little journey about that myself. Hey, everybody. How's it going? My name is James. How are you? Hell yeah. It's 2018. I'm introduced on stage at the New Zealand Comedy Gala, arguably the biggest comedy gig you can do in New Zealand. It's my first gala, so I know I had to take a big swing. So I choose to do one of my most banger jokes, a routine that I've done a million times. The joke was about how white girls aren't normally that into Asian dudes. And but, well, it just got really tense in the room just now. (laughs) Fucking all the white women sitting here like, how did he know? I do the bit where I say, and don't give me the shit that Asian dudes aren't sexy, okay? Are you kidding me? There's a billion Chinese people in the world. Someone would have had to fuck a Chinese guy to make all those Chinese people. And I close on, and white girls, have a jam. (laughs) I remember the last time you went to Yum Chai and you tried scary looking food for the first time. You're like, that's quite good. That could be us. (laughs) And it all goes really well. I leave the stage on huge applause. I wrote this joke when I was 23, and I performed it for years until I retired it on television. I wrote it because for ages I felt like I was overlooked by girls because I was a nerdy Asian guy. I wrote it as a way to empower Asian guys by doing what I knew best, making people laugh. But now when I watch it back, I see a guy obsessed with aligning himself with whiteness. I think of all the women in the room who could be thinking, of course it's all about white girls, it always is. I cringe especially hard at this part. White dudes love Asian girls, and everyone's just chill with that. Everyone's fine. Like, whenever you see a white dude walking down the street with an Asian girl, you're like, my brother got yellow fever. Follow your dreams. 
But whenever you see an Asian dude with a white girl, you're like, oh, she's having coffee with her tutor. Oh. <laughs> I thought I was being empowering. And yes, in parts, I may have been challenging stereotypes, but it turns out by only focusing on dating white women, I may have been feeding that same racial hierarchy. Was I more of a bitter Asian man than I thought? Would you ever do that joke again? No. Uh, And if I did, I would do it differently. How? Well, firstly, I'd be like, everyone give us a chance, not just white women. Um, I probably wouldn't have that bit about half white, half Asian babies being better. Or that bit where I'm like, chill with white men fetishizing (laughs) Asian women. Oh, my God. It's a fucking mess, mate. (laughs) Why why did they let me do it on TV? What? Well... It's on the internet forever, so... Thank you. Very comforting. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, but seriously, I don't think you should beat yourself up over it. This is probably a good example of learning and changing, but it also speaks to a whole culture around race and dating that's way more nuanced. So when I was younger and I was in that space, I felt really alone. It all just felt really unfair. Luckily, though, I had other things in my life that told me I was a good and worthy person. Friends, family... Eventually, I found comedy, and that allowed me to develop skills that I used to better myself and be more confident in who I was. But not everyone has those things. Some men go and search for others that feel the same way they do. They may not be bad guys, but when they find other men who feel angry for being discarded, their anger is just fueled by more anger, and it no longer becomes productive. I never looked into that community of bitter Asian men, but I know someone that did. My friend David, who you might remember from the first episode, he made me realize just how easy it might be for guys like us to spiral into that world. I've been down that rabbit hole mm. on Reddit. It's like that Asian male rage yeah. towards being discarded sexually. Mm. Men are not happy about that. There's a subreddit that I've, that I've been on and it's just pictures of Asian men having sex with white women mm as a way of being like, this is empowering. Mm. We're taking them away from white people. Yeah. I don't subscribe to that, Yeah, but I've looked into why, it. Why do you not? Because I think it's toxic. Mm. It's misogynistic. Yeah, it's misogynistic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's that ownership thing. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm all about that. In the same way that like, like they still don't owe you. They don't owe you that. shit. Yeah. No. Yeah. No one owes you shit. Yeah, it's very, very unsullied territory. Yeah. Yeah, and I went down that, like, I remember being very sad Mm. and being very lonely and looking into that world and, like, and I read the game. There were bits in it that I was like, okay, this, oh, wow, I'm going to try this. Mm. And then you try it and you realise, oh, no, I'm just being an asshole. Okay, so just to be clear, David definitely didn't go down that route in the end. He's actually in a really loving relationship right now, which is nice. Yeah. I think it kind of goes to show how easy it is to fall into that world, right? It starts with very valid feelings of loneliness and being sad because you're not seen as sexual. And then, of course, you're going to go look for some people who feel the same way. Mm. And I guess the place for that is the internet. Yep. You all just exist in this echo chamber of bitterness and that just radicalizes you. Yeah. Um, Speaking of radicalization, David mentioned incels. Do you want to explain what that is? So incel is short for involuntary celibate. And it is an online subculture of mostly men who define themselves as unable to find a sexual or romantic partner despite wanting one. They range from people who feel rejected 
um, and just want a community of like-minded friends to those who exhibit really problematic misogynistic behaviors, you know, sometimes even enacting them through acts of violence. So incel ideology is taking that initial rejection and anger to the extreme. Yeah, and we want to acknowledge that incels are predominantly made up uh, by younger white men who have enacted a lot of really horrific things. But there's also actually a subculture of Asian incel men who identify as rice cells. So they're incel men who believe that they've been discarded specifically because they're Asian. Hong Kong-Australian writer Jocelyn Chan breaks down rice cell culture in this amazing article she wrote on a website called Peril. So she says, There are some stats to support the rice cell point of view. A 2015 study showed that 35% of Asian-American men were single, as opposed to 18% of their female counterparts. A 2018 study echoes those findings, noting that Asian men are a uniquely disadvantaged racial and gender category when it comes to both heterosexual and same-sex relationships. Wow, so there are studies that show that Asian men are actually at a disadvantage. Yeah, but then she goes on to say, Rice cells make a misogynistic meal of valid inquiries. One post on r slash rice cells summarizes the general mood. I am Asian, therefore I am virgin. While a reply clarifies, unless you have a slip between your legs, fixated on white men, Asian female, as the root of their involuntary celibacy, they theorize that Asian women will date even the most inadequate of white men to avoid dating Asian men. Disturbingly, the rice cells' misogynistic stances aren't restricted to self-identified rice cells. We hear their echoes on other subreddits, r slash Asian identity, r slash Asian masculinity, and r slash harpers. Oh, shit. Harpers, isn't that... That's the thread you were called out on, right? Yeah. So, okay, so what she's saying is that rice cells, their way of thinking is pretty similar to what you faced in that Reddit thread that was criticizing you. It's just a more radical version of it. Yeah, yeah. The scariest part is knowing that it's possible to escalate to a point where there's a threat of actual violence. Mm, For sure. So one of the most well-known violent incel attacks was actually carried out by an incel that identified as a biracial Asian-American man. So in 2014, this guy murdered six people and injured 14 others when he went on a rampage in Isla Vista in California. And in his manifesto, he specifically cited all the common talking points that bitter Asian men speak to. Holy shit. Yeah. And it's hard to talk about because at the moment, globally, Asians have become targets of racial violence due to COVID-19, but we still need to acknowledge the dark parts of our own community. So while incels can kind of feel like an underground extremist group, I actually have an example of toxic behavior from a bitter Asian guy from our own community here in New Zealand. Oh yeah? Who was it? So it was a story that our mate Roseanne told me. Um, So in 2005, Roseanne made this documentary called Banana in a Nutshell about how hard it was to have her white fiancé be accepted by her Chinese family and, you know, her fighting her family's prejudice. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, from that, something scary happened to her. This was 10 years ago when Mm. uh, Banana in a Nutshell first came out based on this idea that Asians would call me a banana, which was an insult because they assumed that I'm white on the inside and yellow on the outside. And so I guess I was reclaiming it for myself. So the documentary came out, was a big success at the film festival. And then I received an email from a guy who said, look, can you not talk about your romance with a white person this documentary isn't very good and and i was like um this is my personal experience he was like stop going on about your white husband or boyfriend and i was like i'm sorry guy i can't keep talking to you and then he tipped over into the worst abuse like rape threats death threats 
you're a running dog whore. I wish we could go back to the old days when we could put you in a barrel of nails and roll you down the street. Jesus Christ. You know, like, you're, you're disgusting. You disgust me. Is this, like, through email? Like what this is, is through email. Okay. And, uh, and I started receiving it from 10 to 20 different guys with Asian names, yeah. Chinese Asian names. This was back when video stores were a thing. Any time it came out, they'd put a one-star review and say, this film is disgusting and here's why it's shitty and terrible, don't watch it. So I called around Blockbuster and um, on the night that he said he'd watched it, I was able to get the police to get an, a name. Because he said he rented it. Because he said time. he rented it. And, um, uh, and I was also noticing something across these 10 to, 10 to 20 accounts mm. that he'd used the same language. Oh, yeah. So this guy had been really busy making me and my family feel threatened. Mm. It was a horrible experience for me because he knew yeah. what I looked like. I didn't know what he looked like. So I would literally, if any Chinese man walked close to me, mm. I'd be like, is that him? Is he coming yeah. to hurt me? Yeah. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts where, you know, a guy will troll some woman mm. and then someone will call the man and say, what were you thinking? And he'd say, yeah, well, I didn't mean to hurt her. How the fuck was I supposed to know that? Yeah. I was walking around thinking he could hurt me, he could hit me at any time. And that just, that just screws with your mental state, man. Mm. Like, I couldn't trust Asian men because of what this Asian man had done to me. Yeah. That is so truly awful mm. that that happened to her. Yeah, it's terrifying, huh? It's wild because Roseanne's documentary isn't even contentious. Like, she wasn't saying or doing anything awful or evil. She was literally just sharing her real life. Oh, yeah. She 100% did not deserve any of that. And obviously, they're on different levels, but listening to her story, does it kind of make you reflect on your experiences with that Reddit thread now? I, I do get a similar feeling of, like, random men feeling entitled to weigh in on your life, especially from behind a keyboard, you feel like, I don't know how dangerous or how much these people really mean it. Mm. My question is now, what can Asian dudes do about this feeling? Mm. Obviously, this all comes from a genuine place of feeling like you're not being treated fairly, but what is the alternative to sitting in this, like simmering in the mm. juices of feeling bitter? <laughs> so I did, I did some digging around and I actually found this American blog. It's called the Bitter Asian Man blog. Mm, sounds fun. So, <laughs> so it's a blog from the late 2000s that kind of serves the same function that a lot of these subreddits do today. I even had one guy email me saying, man, JC, you've got to teach me. I want to bang all these white girls and get back at the white man. Like, dude, that is not a healthy reason to learn this. This is JT Tran. He's a dating coach from the States who specializes in helping Asian guys with a dating course called ABCs of Attraction. He was the last admin of the Bitter Asian Man blog. I'm not 100% sure about how it looks in New Zealand. Mm. Um, but here in America, something out of Gosh, one out of four, one out of five Asian American men will never marry. Part of that is because over 54%, over half of American born Asian women will not marry Asian men. And it's because you're an Asian guy, mm -hmm. right? So it's just nuts. Um, and so you have generations of Asian guys looking around and seeing that their prospects for love were very restricted because of a lot of different factors from both our cultural 
norms and familial traditions to the external racism that affects us. It, it creates this rage that some guys turn into something constructive and they come to me and like they say that like, yeah, I'm someone that just needs help and like I help them develop themselves. And others go into like that bitter, angry Asian mode or even, you know, God forbid, into like the kind of the alt-right manosphere, mm. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to direct guys who were becoming bitter mm. into becoming better Asian men. He's got a tough job to walk the line here. What do you mean? Well, I think it's a fine line between empowering the Asian men who have low self-esteem and encouraging entitlement to women's bodies. Mm. So an outcome of success of this program is dating more women. It's kind of like the getting the girl narrative. Like we're not a prize to be won. Yeah, I had that worry too that it can kind of cross into pickup artist territory. And yeah, that whole culture can be pretty problematic. Mm. There are problematic areas Without a doubt, probably the more typical kind of negative stance is just to treat women as just objects. And I tell my students, like, we can build men's confidence up and not tear women down. And I know some people is like, oh, it's just about Asian guys getting their dick wet. No, it's more than that. It's like that emasculation from the media Mm. says it's a dehumanization process. It says that we as Asian men are or not worthy to be loved. And if you're not worthy to be loved, that means you're a subhuman, mm-hmm. right? It's more than about sex. It's like, if you can't be loved, then you're, you're less than human. And for a lot of guys, a lot of Asian guys, that's the way they felt growing up. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. You don't have to be a bitter Asian man. It's a good perspective if it's received right. And I think it's interesting and kind of sad that that idea around having to change in order to be loved exists because of the cultural landscape or maybe because of how bitter these people have become because of outside factors. Yeah, I think this is a response to something that's problematic in a wider sense. You know, like JT's job shouldn't have to exist. Right. So what is the answer? How do we move forward as a community? I think the key is actually in something Roseanne said to me after sharing her story. To be honest, he was the first person who opened my eyes to this idea that Asian men have been disenfranchised and demasculated in Western media. But on a deeper level, on a more academic level, I started thinking, maybe this guy is a symptom of something. Maybe it's not his fault. And, you know, dang it all if I didn't start to see things from his point of view. Mm. I think I understand why it's happened, Mm. but we can never say that it's the right way to deal with it. No. To, to be discarded mm. because of your choice of partner mm. is its own kind of screwy bullshittery. Why are you looking at someone else's private choices? Mm. So she's kind of saying that the first step to healing is to stop making assumptions about people's lives. Yeah, just because you see like a white male, Asian female couple, it doesn't mean that that was born out of fetishization or like born of internalized racism. There are plenty of other reasons that couple could be together and you shouldn't assume. And as we've learned, there are quite a lot of theories (laughs) and studies as to why. Yeah. I guess a little bit of empathy goes a long way. Yeah. As much as this episode has been very um, harrowing to research. (laughs) I feel like personally it really has consolidated this thing of like it's about the larger institution and we shouldn't demonise individuals within that. 
I think the problem is to truly see each other as people, we have to see through all the labels and stereotypes that are put on us. And because minorities can't just exist neutrally, we can't just be people, we'll always be racialized as long as we live in a white supremacist system. Ah, yes. I see this road leads here as well. After everything we've heard, especially listening to Roseanne's perspective on what happened with her, I decided it was time to reach out to Gladys51 and see what he had to say about that Reddit thread. And he actually replied. Look, I honestly think what you're doing is great. I mean, how many of us on Reddit can claim to do the same thing? Like, get off our lazy butts and actually do some work in real life. Look, regarding the mixed reaction on that thread, part of the disappointment, I think, is because r slash hoppers is still waiting for that Asian female activist who supports Asian slash half-Asian men and who has a half-Asian or Asian partner. It's not that we are trying to own Asian women, police their dating choices, or be misogynistic, as many critics would be so quick to point out, but it's more the sense that it would strengthen and lend more credence to the political message if the activist in question had an Asian partner, especially if the message is that Asian men are desirable. I'm still very grateful that you took the time to advocate for us, and I see you as an ally, and I hope you are not disgusted by what was said on that thread. I think part of it also comes from a deep place of hurt and trauma. Reading this, I was surprised by his openness. Nothing excuses the way they spoke about me on that thread, and I still disagreed with the fact that who I date discredits my work, but I appreciated the reply and discourse. It felt like two different people in the private message and the public forum. I wanted to know what else Gladius51 had to say on other threads, if talking to me had reminded him that there are humans behind the comments. So I did some more digging, and I found something he posted recently on that exact subreddit that surprised me. Hey guys, uh, I took a little break from Reddit, and I'm back here just scoping things out. I found that my reality started to deviate from the past narratives, which has de-radicalized me to a large extent. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't Asian or Hapa men who have endured severe trauma or endure on the daily, but when one's reality doesn't follow a neat little Reddit narrative, it's hard to be angry or enthusiastic about it. I sort of outgrew a lot of the outrage, rhetoric, and polemics from back in the day. A lot of what I used to believe in and buy into seems like a distant memory, almost like a dream. No doubt I acknowledge that there are actual legit issues plaguing the Asian community related to white worship, sexual racism, and insultum, and model minority myths. But I found that distancing myself from the online anger and actually experiencing the complexity of real life has greatly helped me mentally. For so long, I've held on to Gladius 51 and his critiques as something that made me question myself, my work, and my relationships. But after hearing so many stories for this episode, I now have a deep sense of how he got there and what painful experiences in his world made him think like that. It comes back down to the systems we're all fighting to try and be loved and accepted. Knowing all of this, I find it hard to hold on to that same anger towards Gladius. And seeing that he went back to those original groups and posted up about his new perspective for others to learn from, 
actually gave me hope for change. Gladius found a kind of peace in the end. And it made me realise something I want to find too. On the next episode of The Elephant in the Bedroom. And does personal responsibility look like breaking up with your white partners? How have we come back here again? I don't know! Oh my gosh! Okay, we have one episode left to fix white supremacy <laughs> and save our relationships. Yeah. And just hold it together. <laughs> Wish us luck! Why did we do this? <laughs> the Elephant in the Bedroom was made for RNZ with funding from New Zealand on the show was written and hosted by us, James Roque and Chai Ling Huang. Our producers are Ruby Rehana Wilson and Kelly Gilbride. The show is executive produced by Notable Pictures, Julia Parnell, Brett Wilkie, Ewan Atkinson and Proudly Asian Theatre. Post-production by Matt and Ricky at Evoke Audio. Nikita Subrine did our theme song with music by Tom Dennison. The voices you heard in the Reddit thread were actors Yosin Ann, Benjamin Tay and Uyang Choi. Special thanks to everyone who spoke to us for this episode. Roseanne, David, Chai Sien, JT, Jocelyn and Gladius51, wherever you are, hope you're living your best life. And thank you for listening.